All right, well, uh, if nothing else, um, we're going to have uh, Miss Amanda will be reading our text this morning. So we are wrapping up Colossians 3. Crazy to think we're wrapping up this, this chapter. Um, it has been a good, good book. But if you would stand uh, when we get there to Colossians 3, and Miss Amanda will read our text, which is verses 23 through 
And it was almost became this running joke of whenever you know, we did something we didn't want to do, right? Whenever something was just kind of passed down, you know, okay, oh, you're doing this for the church, you don't really want to. Treasures in heaven almost became just a joke on the side. Right? And have, have any of the rest of us ever been in those situations where it's almost like, oh, well, you know, there's treasures in heaven. I thought of that this week. Right? Verse 4, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. I thought of lifting all those chairs. I thought of painting and doing all of those things that seem to be of no consequence. I've sworn your treasures in heaven. And yet the more I got to look at this, I, I wanted to dive in deeper and very interesting. You will receive inheritance as your reward. There are places in the scripture where it talks about receiving a crown or receiving rewards in heaven. That's true. But our ultimate inheritance is that we have Christ. We have him. He is ours. But I want to jump back to 23 and then we'll kind of go through. I just kind of want to open with that idea um, this isn't what we're talking. We're not talking about, hey, uh, I want to talk about treasure in heaven, and that's why I'm passing around the sign up sheet. That was not intentional. That was just because you're going to have me sign up in the back. <laughs> but jumping in verse uh, 23, it says, Whatever you do, work heartily is for the Lord and not for him. <clears throat> in anything that you do, Everything that you do. Is that the way that we really work? If someone looked at us as Christians, our work ethic, the way that we work, the things that we do, do we look different than those who are not us? And sometimes that means, hey, you're, you're, the, you're the model employee, and sometimes it means that you're not. I remember I had uh, one job. It's kind of a, a nice job. I had to be uh, the manager for a nicer bed and breakfast. And unfortunately, it was a scenario where almost every week I had a conversation saying, man, I'm not going to lie for you. I can't do it. I won't do it. And it was just even little things. And finally, I said, so, man, do you not realize you're even going to get caught in these lies? And almost jokingly, well, if she was, I was. And it ended up resulting, I, I, I didn't work there anymore. Okay, if, if you want me to say these things that aren't true, you can fire me and get someone else. And, you know, she called my bluff. She fired me, she got someone else. <laughs> but you know what? Like, okay, like, the next thing I got didn't pay quite as much. It wasn't quite a, a nice job in my own sense and sensibility. You know what I didn't do? I didn't spend the day just caught up in my conscience wondering what is she going to say or ask me to say or what arguments am I going to have? No, I'm going to give myself. I'm going to be honest in this place even if it costs me something. How often we work and are we working as unto the Lord? Do we really think that what we do has that spiritual reward? I mean, do we really think that uh, okay, if you're just making parking lots, is that, is that really as much heaven work as the guy's out here to be a missionary? I mean, if you're just you know, making sure the trash is picked up and the cows are sold, is that the same as this preacher over here that we're, you know, is it the same? 
And I think we forget that one of the things that we're almost starting to get back and need another reformation, one of the beautiful thoughts, was this divide of sacred and secular is brought down. One time, uh, Martin Luther was saying uh, you know, that the, the plowman has just as much of a vocation to heaven as the pastor. Like, do we really believe that the God has us where we are, next to who we're with, doing what we're doing for his glory and our good and the fame of King Jesus? But are we really doing everything we are, working as on to the Lord, not for men? Do we really believe that? That you can do what you do to the glory of God in such a way that there is a blessing and a reward that's there. And guys, here's also the other thing is if you're in those spheres, there's people that you can talk to that would not talk to me. Right? I get to have some conversations through the week. Uh, we were joking uh, early this morning, there's a few of y'all, you know, scattered into Sunday school early. And I talked to someone at the coffee shop this week. And I just got out of static comedy. Hey, why do you have so many commentaries? That's not normal. So I'm studying for a sermon. And got to talk to him, but I don't even talk to some of the people y'all guys work with. Right? So do you see your work where you are as a vocation given by God? And if not, remember the words of Paul in Acts 17 when he was there in Mars Hill when he said that God made from one man all of the nations of the earth and he decreed their boundaries and places of habitation. Why so that men would seek him and find him, for truly he is not far from any of us. Or the words of Paul in Ephesians 2, verse 10, to the church in Ephesus, where he says that you were saved for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you may walk in them. And prepared beforehand, it has the image. Have you ever been on one of those? Have you ever been on like a good long hike? I mean, Alabama's beautiful. I'm not talking about an Alabama hike. I'm talking about one of those, you know, uh, you get up above the tree line hikes. So I got to a few years ago, I got to climb Mount Albert, which is the tallest mountain in the, uh, in, or in the U.S. Rockies. But to get up there, right, we had to start climbing at like 3.30 in the morning. We're sitting there with headlamps on, watching this path. We're, and we're in the parking lots, me and my brothers and my dad, a bunch of us boys from Alabama. And we're like, oh, like, just try to find someone that looks like they're knowing what they're doing and stick behind them. <laughs> and that's part of what this Ephesians 2 10 has these good works that are prepared beforehand. Don't be worried and fretting of, oh, am I going to miss it or if I don't have this or if I don't have that? I used to be so terrified that if I, well, if I didn't read the right Bible verse this morning, then I'm not going to share the gospel with the right person and someone's going to go to hell. It's my father. Or maybe if I, I'm not prayed up and I don't go to this person. No, it's just this, as I'm following Jesus, these good works are just there along the way. This prepared beforehand is just, it's this imagery of following and step with our God. Again, we do need to keep going. And work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You will receive the inheritance as your reward. It's interesting when you look at Scripture, right? Christ, who is the king of all the cosmos, when he gets to this place where he starts speaking and it's uh, speaking about what his reward shall be in heaven. I mean, this is the victorious king of glory, right? 
What could be his inheritance other than everything? What could be the inheritance of Christ the Almighty when taking into consideration the quote from the Dutch theologian Abraham Kepler, who said, There is not one molecule in all of created uh, in all of creation over which a sovereign Christ does not boldly declare mine. What could be his inheritance? The Father gives us, gives him us. Have you ever thought about it? When we're thinking about inheritance, I do want to kind of just sidetrack here. Right? So many of us, we, we wrestle with that value that we have, or maybe our value is based on how well we did this week, or our value is based on how well we hope to do next week. Right? How many of us have a value system that really fluctuates like a stock market? And if we're honest with ourselves, right, at the end of the night, when the TV's off and we're heads on the pillow and it's quiet, those voices in our head tell us maybe our value looks like a stock market but not a good one or a bad one. Right? If it's the stock market, you know, we need some help. I want you to remember now you are so valuable that Christ himself says, I want you as my inheritance. When all the wealth of not just this world, but the cosmos, could be at his feet. When the might of not just armies of men, but the hosts of heaven are under his command. When by the very sound of his voice, creation happens, the one who holds all things together for his own will. He looks down the annals of time and chooses humanity, chooses a people for himself. That his inheritance will not be gold or silver, wars or warriors, but his children, his brothers and sisters adopted and brought back in. It says that we will receive our inheritance. So I would ask you, what is that inheritance that you're longing for? When you think of heaven, when we think of glory, when we think of going home, what is it that you think of? I can still remember stories of, uh, hey, you know, when I get there, I, I, I don't want a mansion, it's just a little lake, you know, on a hill, and a mountain, and you know, there could be, I'm like, okay, you're, you're saying you don't want a mountain, but you're describing like a $10 million lake house. <laughs> it's interesting when you actually go into the original Greek, or you know, our King James says you know, there are many mansions. It's a bad translation. Actually, my father's house, there are many rooms. He's not saying, hey, I'm going to send you to the end of the cul-de-sac. He goes, no, when you come, he goes, you're, you're, you're coming down the hall. Right? When you think of your inheritance, do you think mainly of Christ, or are you just hoping for a better life, or maybe a better American dream? when you get there. Maybe that your life there oh, it looks kind of like this one but without all the wants and needs and worries or could you say like the old Puritan if I arrive in heaven and Christ is not there then I will be assured that I have missed the mark and ended up in hell. If I arrive in heaven with all its blessings and Christ is not there I will be sure I have missed the mark and ended up in hell. Is that how we think of our inheritance in Christ? Or even more, there's a, 
song that I love. It's uh, by a Christian hip-hop group out of Portland, Oregon. So I'm sure that all of y'all have heard of them. Two things that I know that everyone in this church just loves a whole bunch. Y'all are allowed to laugh at that. Come on. <laughs> I mean, if y'all love it that much, I got some friends with missions here in Portland. They need some Jesus. But in one of the lives, I saw the choir in heaven. I, I loved listening to it. It says, and to receive a crown, only to cast it down at the feet of our resurrected Jesus in a perfect, ceaseless form of worship, crying, holy, holy, holy. I'll be honest, I want, when I get to heaven, my reward to be much, much larger than yours, I do. In fact, yeah, I want mine to be as big as all of y'all's put together. I know it won't be, but I want it. Not so that I can have the most, so I can have the most to throw at the feet of Jesus. If I work every day, if I receive the largest reward that heaven has ever seen, and I throw it at the feet of Jesus, it would still not be enough. Because I know I have often given Christ many reasons not to love me. And yet each time, he says, not enough. Christ, what about this reason? He goes, that reason is yet again, not enough. I need to continue. I got about four and a half minutes and a whole verse, and we need to finish up this last song and get us out on time because we do still have that meeting. And for the warmonger will be paid back for the wrong he has done. There's no partiality for the war, for the wrongdoer, or the warmonger. Some say in some translations. Right, this isn't this idea of. Karma. I don't like karma. Karma's a whole load of something that I can't describe. Fill in the blank there, right? I remember when I was in India, I got to meet up with this guy who was a Hindu prince. I mean, he was a guy that you know his bank account started with a B. Um, you know, mine does too. But, you know, my 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 B's for broke, and his was for something else. And he's like, hey, I want, you, I, want, I want you to have this money so when you're going to this village, you can feed this village. Just don't let anyone know it was me. Okay. Man, absolutely. I'm thinking, okay, maybe he's just, you know, most people, you know what your right hand, know what your left hand is doing, I want to do anonymously. And he goes to me, he's like, anyway, you, you cannot let my family know. It would be such bad karma if they found out I was giving you money to feed this village. That don't matter. What do you mean? Because you, know, so you Americans don't understand karma correctly. Because the way we understand it here, and I mean, his family like, bankrolled some very pretty famous Hindu babas or holy men. And he goes, if you actually understand the Hindu faith, to help the poor is bad karma. Because karma put them there. You leave them where they're at. Maybe in an excellent and that was one of the reasons why, goodness gracious, he gave us more money than I think any Christian did. He's like, hey, you're, we need your Jesus. But there is a measure that you reap what you sow. Now, praise God that his grace and mercy cover that. But I would say, if you're one of those people looking at you doing wrong and wrong doing, 
Right? If you still have breath, there's time for repentance, right? The Christian life is one of repentance. One of the evidence that you are actually in Christ is this longing for, if not daily, weekly repentance. Right? This verse is clear. Right? The wrongdoer will receive. And that doesn't mean you're called to be perfect. In some sense, we are be perfect because your Father in heaven is perfect. We fall short of that. First, or, uh, yeah, First John says, if you believe you have no sin, you deceive yourself, and God is not within you. But if you confess your sin, He is faithful and just to forgive you. So I would ask you to examine yourself or do like I did this week, and it's hard. Is there wrongdoing in your heart? Is there wrongdoing? Maybe you look good from five feet away, but if you really look up close, there's some wrongdoing. And here's the beautiful thing. is just run to Jesus. Because he knows it already. Right? Confession isn't telling him something he didn't know. You guys know that, right? Like if you committed a crime and got away with it, went to the police station and confessed, you might get in trouble. Because they didn't know. And it doesn't work that way with Jesus. Each time you come to him for confession, you say, God, I did this. He goes, I know, I've been waiting to welcome you back. Think of the story of the prodigal son. He just rehearsed speech over and over and over again. Of this, all this is everything I have done wrong. And before he could get out anything, the father embraces him, wraps his arms around him, puts a cloak over him, and puts a ring on his finger. And that calls him a signet ring, a sign that you are failing. And there is grace for whatever sin you've committed. I personally know men who have murdered, and not just a few. And there's grace for them. I know those that have lied and stolen and cheated. I know those that have done every sort of wickedness under the sun. And so a lot of those categories, I am there, and so are you. There's nothing. Sometimes we think that God's, there's a lot of grace up until we shake a hand and repeat a prayer, and there's not that much left. And we think that, you know, it's grace that brings us in. We've got to work hard to stay in. You know, that working hard is just running back to Jesus, running back to Jesus, running back to Jesus. And again, I'm not so foolish as to think that in a room of almost 40 that every single person here is really actually broken down and fallen and confessed their sins honestly before God. Just because you're in church doesn't mean you've done it. And so I just want to invite you, if you've never done that, come up, grab me, talk to me. And grab one of these saints in this room that you've seen living out for years or maybe decades. Grab them and say, hey, I, I want I want grace. I don't want my wrongdoing to be punished, but I, I want the grace of God to cover me. That being said, we're about to sing in Christ alone. In Christ alone, my hope is found. So as we're in the ocean, ask, is he your hope? When you take that honest examine, examination of yourself, maybe the past week or month or however long, of that wrongdoing, is he your hope? When you worry and wonder, laying your head on your pillow at night and wonder, am I worth it? Is he your hope? Is he your light, your strength, your song? So as we sing this here in a moment, this minute, if you want to go ahead and try to land the plane, we can start singing.
as we sing this, yes, sing it, but don't just read words on a page. I would ask you, make this your prayer. Maybe a prayer for today, for this week. Maybe even for some, a prayer of confession. That he is your hope, even if he has not been recently. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Father, and Jesus Christ, our Lord, be all glory and power and dominion and authority before all time, now and forever, world without end. Amen. Amen. Go in peace.